1: Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we have an important subject for discussion, the future of globalization. I have with me Dr. Lalit Johri joining in for discussion from Oxford University, Oxford. Dr. Lalit Johri is a senior fellow in international business at Said Business School and director of Oxford Advanced Management and Leadership Programme. His areas of expertise include strategy and leadership in international businesses, alliances including public-private partnerships, public policy and institutional reforms in emerging markets. Lalit is a member of the International Editorial Board for the International Journal of Emerging Markets and of the Academy of Management. He also served as Vice President Australasia of the Production and Operations Society, uh, the director and member of the International Board of Building Partnerships for Development, and also a member of the editorial board of POMS Chronicle. He's is member, distinguished advisory board, Journal of Asian Business Studies. Lalith holds an MSc in Physics, MBA, and a PhD in Business Policy and Strategic Management welcome Lalit
2: hi Mahesh, good to speak to you again
1: Lalit uh, I know we have done uh, uh, some very good programs on <laughs> globalization and its impact and all but uh, this yes. one is very critical basis uh, the current situation uh, in, in in the global environment so right. let me start by saying that uh, you know about the geopolitical environment. You know the U.S. elections underscored a broad shift towards uh, protectionist pressures, and yes. uh, these these are not new. They have been playing out for some time, as it appears. Uh, it's not only the U.S. election, the result out of it. Also, the other a glaring example is the. UK vote for Brexit, that decision to leave the European Union. You know that's 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 a major one, and 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 if you see uh, in the weeks after the U.S. elections were concluded and results were out, uh, politicians from different countries looked at it very differently. The politicians from countries like Italy. Hungary, Greece, etc., and, and some other places, uh, they have kind of understood Trump's victory as a justification for policies that reverse probably the pattern of globalization. And, and now we look at what's happening in the first hundred days of the new administration in place uh, in uh, or the new leadership in place in the United States, is that office has reaffirmed its position, which they had uh, spoken during the presidential bid, uh, with a commitment to renegotiate or probably withdraw from NAFTA and uh, not support uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, pull it out of pull out of it, and probably look at China to be labeled as a currency manipulator, and uh, probably establish tariffs to discourage companies from offshoring production and jobs from U.S. and going beyond that almost expel uh, two million migrants and suspend uh, immigration from terror prone regions and uh, not to forget to build the wall. So I I wanted to take your thoughts. What do you think is the impact of current situation on uh, globalization?
2: Uh, Mahesh, uh, I mean that's a great question in the sense that uh, you can't separate politics from uh, economics. Anybody who has tried to do that has paid a very heavy cost. Uh-huh. And uh, I would uh, like to reflect a little bit with you on what has gone wrong with globalization that there is uh, a kind of a pushback at least in terms of uh, public discourse and political rhetoric. Now, uh, to understand this phenomenon of globalization today, we need to go back to the 60-year history of globalization post-World War II. Uh And uh, lots of things have happened during this while. I mean, what you see today in terms of uh, rising economic disparities and some industries being completely wiped out from the uh, economic and industrial infrastructure of uh, some of the Western uh, countries, uh, people losing their jobs. Uh, there is a sort of uh, history which can help us to explain that why this is happening. So let me uh, try to uh, focus a little bit on um, how exactly we have been conducting globalisation or the global trade in products, services, uh, information and knowledge in the recent times uh, since uh, the the period immediately after the Second World War or let's say early uh, or the mid-50s, let's put it that way. Uh-huh. Now, um, if you take example of uh, specific countries um, some of the countries have been providing unfair advantage to their domestic companies in the form of subsidies, tax breaks, low interest rates. And they, these countries are trying to enable their own com- companies to compete in the fo- foreign market. And this is what we would call is unfair advantage or unfair competition. Because often, the companies who enjoy these subsidies and tax breaks, they are in direct conflict with domestic companies in the foreign markets. Uh-huh. And those domestic companies in the foreign markets are often outpriced and pushed out of the market, ultimately resulting in loss of jobs. True. I think uh, steel industry is an example of that. Um, I can also think about countries where the regulations uh, are very soft on firms and firms don't really pay much attention to the workers' safety, health and their rights because the objective in those countries or the aim in those countries to keep the labor costs low and compete in the foreign markets in a rather unfair manner. Again, I think we can take examples from uh, the so-called garment uh, stitching industry. And we've heard about so many cases of uh, factories catching fire and uh, tens and hundreds of workers have died in these uh, industry accidents. Right. Um, We can also talk about... uh, Countries where the environmental laws are not very rigorous. And again, the firms in these countries are allowed to break environment preservation and conservation laws in order to produce goods at a very cheap uh, cost. Uh-huh. Um, many c- countries have imposed high tariffs or ra- they have raised non tariff barriers to protect their own domestic mar- firms. At the same time, they are trying to push their exports to the other countries. And then uh, we've also heard about countries which have adopted the weak currency policy or known as devaluation to boost their exports. Right. So it seems... Absolutely. So it seems that during the last 60 years, the global trade in uh, products, services, information, and knowledge has benefited several countries who don't play by the rules. And these current countries uh, create unfair advantage for their own exporters, adversely impacting the countries who care about labor and human rights environment and adopt transparent uh, financial or market-based currency policies. Now, this has to change. And that's what is happening in uh, United States and uh, to some extent here in uh, Europe. And uh, I'm not sure if we are going to go back to the protectionist policies of the past. We are going to see course correction in which globalization will continue as a fair game. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any setback to globalization. And by the way, if you expand the universe of globalization away from economy, don't forget that uh, globalization has been happening for centuries and millenniums. Take, for example, uh, culture has been globalizing. People have been traveling from one country to another country. Food, for example,
1: uh-huh.
2: uh, popular cuisines travel all over the world. Uh, That's the- a
1: very good point.
2: Yeah, these the Hollywood and the Bollywood films travel everywhere. So there is the globalization of the culture. There is the globalization of the uh, f- food. There is the globalization of uh, education, for example. And there is the globalization of politics. I mean, in a narrow sense, uh, European Union is also a kind of a political construct where they are trying to look beyond the boundaries of their own country. So globalization is happening in various uh, aspects of our societies it is not just confined into uh, global trade and we need to understand that the the connectedness interconnectedness between the countries is expanding in the past uh, culture and uh, social uh, forces would travel from one country to another country through physical context. But these days, you have another very important uh, tool for globalization and that is the digital interconnectedness. So as long as we maintain physical and digital interconnectedness, I don't see any um, scope for uh, reducing... The scope and the scale of globalization, however, the game has to change. That's my, uh, my uh, sort of uh, summary analysis of uh, the political rhetoric that we hear in some of the countries that you mentioned earlier.
1: Right, and also, uh, you know, this is very well explained, Lalit, uh, by you, it gives a great insight But if you look at um, just a statement or uh, a few things appearing from a U.S. election, uh, how far they impacted globalization, just in terms of numbers, that uh, you can easily call U.S. if you want to as a relatively closed economy because it accounts, if you see the total global trade volumes, uh, it accounts for only 11% of the Mm -hmm. global trade volumes And that's uh, less than half of its uh, share of global GDP because uh, US has uh, 24% share of the global GDP. Um, Lalit, uh, we are in a very exciting discussion. We'll take a short break and uh, we will restart after the break. Welcome back. You are uh, listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are in discussion uh, with Dr. Lalit Johari from Oxford University, Oxford, on a very important and exciting subject, the future of globalization. Uh, Lalit, uh, great insights uh, when we took the break. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to continue on your thought process yeah, I think you have already touched it, but I would like to elaborate further on it. So, so you see uh, uh, no discontinuity or disruption in continuity of globalization. It could be just bump in the road, but uh, where we are today, today in 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 the digital world, it'll be very difficult to create a discontinuity here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't. As the interconnectedness uh, amongst the countries, the societies, and the people. Uh, improves, uh, uh, I, I, I would imagine that these are the greatest facilitators of globalization in any domain, whether mm. it's politics, culture, or, or economics, or trade.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, I uh, may not be fully relevant because of the circumstances were different and if you if you look at the globalization trends from uh, mid 1800s to let's say 2015 before the election year there has been a trend uh, there has been uh, a, a break in the globalization's first wave a century ago uh, around 1910 or, or a bit up to 1950 uh, which kind of gives an indica- indication that uh, the global law uh, uh, economic integration are they uh, reversible or irreversible now the, the situation could have been very different that time but uh, you think uh, the the new, new regime in in us and few of the things happening uh, in in europe especially in the, in the us it, it can represent a huge shift in in the hegemon's uh, orientation vis-a-vis a global economic system. If they choose to do so, I don't think you can, because as we were discussing, it's a it, it post-war period. This time is when the second wave of uh, global integration started for global business in 1990s. Uh, it has uh, been supported not by just industrial productivity or supply chain issues. It has gone way deeper in interconnectedness of people and others. But if Uh, if the leader decides to deliver on the agenda, which could not be globalization, can there be a possibility of reversal? I'm I'm kind of hesitant to say it will reverse, but but, uh, is there a possibility?
2: No. I I don't see any possibility because... Uh, As I said before, Mm -hmm. the interconnectedness is improving. The interdependence is growing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just imagine how can you disrupt the uh, global supply chains? Right. I mean, I can't imagine a situation where uh, uh, automobile companies would be forced to... uh, you know, adopt a different model for uh, producing cars, which will be affordable. For producing cars, which are environmental friendly. For enabling everybody to enjoy uh, the benefit of uh, physical mobility. Uh, how can we disrupt the supply ch- chains in the pharmaceutical industry? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't see any reversal in terms of the globalization of the trade-related activities. In fact, on the contrary, I see a greater degree of economic cooperation. So, Mahesh, one of the things we need to do is we must realize that terms like nationalism, protectionism are the lenses of the past. Right. And to understand 21st century globalization, we can't use 19th and the 20th century theories or paradigms. We need to develop new ways of defining and conducting global trade, which is fair to all and distributes the benefit widely.
1: I think it's a great because point. Because the whole… Yeah, you you brought yeah, in the nationalism and globalization, and it is not necessary that they had to be contradictory the countries can have uh, both a national and global identity. And and this is playing out right now. If you look at it, the slogan in US are Make in America, Make America Great Again, go go to India. They had uh, uh, Make in India, Brexit. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think... Yeah,
2: yeah, again, I mean, I will uh, offer my uh, interpretation of at least Make in India. Uh, I mean... To me, it sounded more like a political slogan. Right. Now, let me ask a question. Do you think India can achieve its security interest and defend its borders if it has to wait for another 20 to 30 years to design, develop, and test a fighter jet? No way. No way. India will go out and look for what is available. in the advanced countries or countries which are willing to sell their defense equipment to India. Mm -hmm. And that is the aspect of interdependence. Right. That in specific industries, some countries are way, way ahead of the other countries in terms of technology, in terms of functionality of the products and services that they offer. It ultimately there is a global demand for those products. Right. right Let me right. take another aspect of Make in India and that relates to the cost associated with pursuing a slogan like Make in India. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, pursuing the interest Apple is showing in terms of uh, investing billion dollars in India in order to uh, assemble mobile phones. But I don't understand one thing. Apple makes billions of dollars of profits in United States from their global sales. Right. But to start a mobile phone assembly plant in India, it is trying to negotiate range of subsidies from Indian government. And Indian government is very happy to uh, somehow uh, please them because they want to claim a political victory in terms of uh, telling the electorate that, look, our Make in India program has managed to convince Apple to come to India. But my fear is that ultimately it is the taxpayers who will foot the bill to enable Apple to assemble mobile phones in India. Right, that's, so, that's a great point. Yeah, so the the politically inspired industrial programs, which lack the logic of uh, the so-called free market, the logic of competitive advantage, Mm -hmm. they somehow don't play very well in the long.
1: Yeah, I think that's very well said. And it looks like, Lalit, even, you see, if you try to match the political rhetoric with follow-up actions, and and, and the rhetoric uh, which probably supported... uh, for um, any particular person or political party to gain weightage out of it is probably not against the globalization it may not be just no. for make of India it may be most of the places you see it was kind of a, 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 a kind of a revolution if you call it against the system they were not against it I don't think people would be against globalization because the way you said interconnectedness is today you can't live without it it's, it's so far connected
2: see, as long as uh, by playing a fair game, we can ensure that we can um, invest more into those industries where our country enjoys a greater degree of uh, competitiveness, I'm sure we can address some of the social issues. Let me also uh, focus a little bit on um, what is now becoming a universal political agenda. Uh-huh. and that is going to push the forces of uh, globalization further now if you look at the political priorities of countries around the world what are they everybody's talking about healthcare right providing nutrition providing affordable housing transforming school education reduce unemployment, create new jobs, Mm -hmm. upgrade infrastructure, uh, protect the environment, provide power, water and sanitation and create smart, caring and transparent government. No matter which country you go to, this is the language of the politicians. This is what the society is asking for. And if the political leaders are sincere and if the societies are able to put pressure on the political leadership, then this is going to become the next force in terms of globalization. Hmm. And as
1: you write you said, this, for these these are the main needs, especially in Asia, Africa and Latin America. And and, yes. and these are huge these are very very promising uh, growth opportunities even for a developed economy like us but they can participate in these three geographies which are in desperate needs of those resources or technologies
2: absolutely and and my my own uh, feeling is that uh, the next round of globalization will not just focus on providing um, consumer products it's going to expand to some of the basic sectors uh, the social sector uh, the, main, the, the sort of list that I mentioned just now uh-huh. and, and that will uh, unleash a new wave of globalization across the world and I'm already seeing a lot of cooperation between countries and companies in power sector, water sanitation um, I'm seeing um, countries coming together to solve the problem of uh, nutrition so uh, uh, this, this is the, the the opportunity for the the, the greater exchange of uh, goods and services mm-hmm. in the next phase of globalization yes
1: mm-hmm. and you know just to we were we were talking about you know, protectionism and and trying to uh, Um, drive the nationalism by making its own country and even if you try to dissuade it uh, just picked up some numbers even a developed country like US the biggest investor is China which invests more than 45 billion dollars and that's one of the numbers from Rhodium Group and uh, the exports which happen from US and the foreign direct investment which comes in it almost creates 8 million or above jobs. So you, you would assume that developing countries are investing somewhere. Uh, there are other way around also people are investing in U.S. also the the, the largest economy and they are also creating jobs there. Lalit, we will oh, take, we'll take a short break, Lalit, and uh, we will continue uh, after the break.
2: Thank you.
1: Welcome back. Uh, You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are in discussion, uh, actually very interesting discussion, Dr. Lalit Jauri from Oxford University, Oxford, on uh, the future of globalization. Uh, So Lalit, when we took a break, uh, we were elaborating on uh, uh, making India, making U.S., make U.S. great again, uh, kind of... uh, slogans floating around and, and what's uh, uh, what's happening with nationalism and globalization are they going uh, hand in hand or they are going contradictory looks like uh, most of the countries will have to manage them together uh, seems like uh, they need not be contradictory
2: absolutely I mean uh, they, the globalization must proceed in a manner so that it is played in a very fair manner and it benefits all the participating countries at the same time.
1: Yes, and and I think it's pretty doable. And And one of the reasons that you're talking about, and let me hit on that now, is we are in a digital age. Yes. And in a digital age with the absolute connectivity of everybody with everything, even machine to machine, human to human, human to machine, Machine to anything you can talk about, there, there seems to be very uh, less scope for the trend of uh, globalization to be reversed. Uh, if something can happen is it could be uh, that uh, the forces to go against globalization probably will be resisted by uh, the environment in the digital age.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great uh, observation. What uh, digital connectivity has uh, done is absolutely remarkable. It has changed the way the new uh, international players are emerging in the marketplace. In the past, uh, you would start small as a domestic company, you will grow big in your own country and then you will try to take your first uh, step. In order to expand in the foreign markets, and then over a period of time from an exporter to an international company to a multinational company. Today, uh, even an individual through global, through digital connectedness, can uh, access global markets. Right. And and we we already see that how um, individuals are. Exploiting the power of uh, digital interconnectedness in terms of socializing, exchanging opinions and information, buying and selling uh, goods, learning from each other, educating each other, uh, entertainment. Again, uh, there are uh, singers and bands who are perfectly in a position to upload their uh, creative uh, products and uh, entertaining products and uh, expect the people to pay and download their music. So um, this this domain of individual uh, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, this is going to expand dramatically. Already their numbers are rising exponentially. Yeah, I, don't, and, I think... It, uh, I, 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 I use a term called DICE. These are the Digitally Interconnected uh, um, Entrepreneurs.
1: Ah, and, that's a uh, nice word, DICE.
2: Yes. Right. So, today you don't have to be a big multinational to be able to reach uh, customers in far uh, corners of the global market. The, the, the internet enables you to. I mean, if you have something which has uh, uh, imagination in it, creativity in it, uh, value for the people, I'm sure you're about to find customers anywhere in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you're right because, in, in it's starting from the 21st century, the globalization has taken a, a, a new shape. You know, it's, it's defined very differently. It's more knowledge intensive instead of uh, the capital and labor intensive as yes, it used to be in the information and past. knowledge. Yeah. Yes,
2: information and knowledge. Information intensive. and knowledge, yeah.
1: And, and the focus has shifted. And I can
2: add, mm-hmm. yeah, I can also add imagination and creativity intensive.
1: Right, right, right. And then the focus has absolutely shifted to intangibles. Uh, you, can, yes. you, you can assume the people used to fight for shipping lanes in the past, in the industrial economy, that has uh, um, over the years changed, and it has been substituted by broad being, broadband as a major need. Yes, and, and as yes. you rightly mentioned, there is no restriction on participating in global economy. Anybody can participate uh, with an internet. Yes, and uh, if you see how it's happening, and uh, you know, even an artisan in Africa nowadays, he finds customers anywhere in the world by posting pictures uh, on on web or uh, selling uh, through any of the uh, e-commerce options they have. And um, actually, e-commerce is facilitating a lot. It's almost one-third of sales for artwork across the borders is coming through e-commerce. And uh, if you heard about uh, you definitely heard about this guy, Pinkoi. You know, these guys have 20,000 independent designers who are offering their products online in Taiwan. Yes. Just look at Amazon. (laughs) You know, it's almost more than 2 million sellers there. So you don't have to go face-to-face with the buyers. And uh, Alibaba, I'm saying, (laughs) Alibaba is huge. It's 10 million merchants. Mm -hmm. So I think... uh, (laughs) The meaning of globalization, which when it peaked in 1910s or 1915s, when there was a uh, there was a decline after that, for whatever reason it was, uh, it's very different now. That time it was physical goods, and, and it's, yes. it's, uh, it's more of <coughs> technology side now. And the driver of global consumer demand, you know, if you look at those things, you had had a disadvantage in the past, in 20th century with labor cost competitiveness. That's why they went to other countries. Yes. But in new global yes. economy, you would U.S. may have an advantage in strength in technology and innovation. Anybody has that, they can have more yes. success in globalizing. And it, yes. will, it will more be, you know, earlier uh, the success was being achieved by investing in brick and mortar, heavy capital equipment, making something. Now it's investment in infrastructure, Maybe investing more into education and developing the skills of people.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just, to, just to add to that some, some data that, uh, you know, uh, it's a little bit uh, dated but not more than a year old, that uh, if you see the extent of uh, globalization uh, and how people are crossing boundaries with the, uh, the digital uh, facilitation. There are 914 uh, million internet users with at least one foreign social connection. And there are almost um, 400 international travelers every year. And so you can see this. This is a big number. 400 yes, millions. Yes, there yes, are around yes. more than 350 million cross-border e-commerce shoppers. And you never know. You are ordering something in Houston. Yeah. It is getting shipped from Beijing or Bangalore or maybe from Philippines or Vietnam. And uh, uh, as of last year, there were almost 200 and uh, more than 200 million people who were living away from home country. And more than Mm -hmm. 40 million people, uh, they were uh, crossing border uh, for work. Yes. And and there were uh, more than uh, 12 million online students who were cross-border again. And uh, if you add on top of it, the students studying abroad, and that number is staggering more than 5 million. These are some huge numbers where the society is connected not through business, uh, even on the uh, soft power side. Education.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Job job markets and education. Yeah.
1: Right. So I think it looks like uh, it will be, this kind of connectivity will be uh, very difficult to break. Yes. And, uh, uh, even if you if you uh, erect the physical borders to stop something, <laughs> these are online. and Maybe I don't know if there are any other kind of new regulations come into it. Mm-hmm. That 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 could be an option. Uh, moving forward, Lalit, uh, you know um, uh, nowadays there has been uh, a shared sentiment. Uh, especially in North America of uh, make America great again you know I just wanted to uh, take your opinion on that
2: it's a great sentiment to share in the public space
1: (laughs) okay you you should get votes saying that
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because uh, you know who doesn't want to feel proud of his or her own country right but uh, we have to now ask a question because uh, it's good for the public to feel nice about it, but it's another thing for us to understand what do we mean by um, make America or make India or make uh, UK great again. What kind of uh, greatness are we talking about? Are we talking in terms of uh, a great military power? Are we talking about a great geopolitical power? Mm-hmm. Are we talking in terms of a great uh, economic power? Are we talking in terms of a great uh, social power, cultural power? What are we talking about? So, unless uh, uh, we are clear in terms of... Uh, this is, I'm talking from the point of view of the the decision makers and uh, the students of uh, the... the the anthropology for example or these students who study the evolution of societies and countries that we need to define what do we mean by greatness in 21st century that's
1: a great question
2: yeah if greatness is about uh, military power forget it Mm -hmm. if the greatness is about economic power forget it because a lot of catch up game is going up so many countries have uh, managed to acquire huge amount of uh, technology. They have very good manpower resources. I mean, uh, there are so many countries which are emerging as knowledge powers. So I'm, I'm really uh, not sure that what should the planners make out of this slogan? I think that's
1: a great question, Lalit. Um, sorry, we had to take a short break now uh, and we will resume it. Uh, very interesting discussion on this point. This is a very critical question you posed. Let's take a short break. We'll uh, take it up after the break. Thanks. Welcome back. You're listening to uh, Global Business with Mahesh Yoshi. We are in a very interesting discussion with uh, Dr. Lalit Johri on uh, the future of globalization. Lalit, uh, you made me think that was a very good point which you raised before the break, that uh, what is the meaning of being great? And if I have to break it down into the three uh, easy ones, the military power, economic power, and soft power, uh, I don't see anyone close to America in that. They're the biggest uh, economic power in terms of GDP, if you count it that way. Uh, They are big in uh, the military power. I don't think anybody can match the military might reach and the number of bases they have globally. Uh, And also, if you go to the soft power, uh, until now... Uh, they have the biggest impact on the rest of the world in terms of soft power. So, yeah, Mahesh,
2: uh, it's not how much power you have, it is how you use the power. Right, right. And if you look at the current
1: uh, situation, in, uh, just another piece I wanted yeah. to add in terms of unemployment rate is less than 5%, one of the best yeah. in last 10 years in U.S. So coming back to your point, very valid point, what is uh, the definition now?
2: So, uh, for me, there are, uh, related to this uh, greatness, there are three or four uh, questions that I have in mind. And uh, I would once again repeat what I said earlier, that uh, it's a very good uh, sort of piece for societal conversation. Everybody feels very nice about it. Everybody feels very good about it. It can even inspire people to uh, do some extraordinary things in a more positive way. Now, the key question here is that is there a, f- is there a certain domain focus? Is there a strategy? Is there, a, is there the right kind of leadership to lead this kind of power? Is there inclusiveness in terms of how you want to use this power? Do you want to use it for a selfish purpose or do you want to use it for the global community? Those are some of the big questions that we need to ask.
1: Uh Aha. That's again uh, almost on the periphery of nationalism versus uh, globalization. Absolutely. Or the global responsibility. But definitely... um, you know, uh, the rhetoric has an impact, and uh, it is not how the country will react to those statements. It also will get imp- have an impact on how the other countries react to the rhetoric. And that See, may start hitting the spirit of globalization.
2: We have seen one thing when countries grow I mean, for example, the U.S. Uh, as an example. Uh, U.S. has been growing, I mean, ignoring for the time being the seasonal ups and downs. Right, that's true. And most of the countries in the world have benefited from the U.S growth in the last 50 years. Why? Because US was providing the engine of growth along with Japan and European countries. Now, can US repeat that phenomena? Several questions can be asked. Today, the driver, the engine of uh, global growth in, from the point of view of economics Is not the so-called triad countries, the US, Japan and the Europe. It's the emerging markets. Of course, there is a very strong interdependence here as well in the sense that the emerging markets cannot grow on their own. Emerging markets have to depend on a symbiotic relationship with the triad countries. So now the, the, the whole paradigm of growth is about winning together, growing together, rather than one country leading the growth for the rest of the global economy.
1: Mm. Would you say, uh, you know, the tech industry, uh, we talked about IT and digital economy. We say the tech industry uh, of the 21st century, that kind of depicts and shows a global sensibility. You know, in, in, in tech industry, the success depends on scale. You know, Yes. And the skill gives, uh, uh, you know, it, it gives an incentive to those tech companies, the need for skill, uh, to go and seek out talent. they seek the talent across the world. And so they, they, they don't yes. bother about the nationality. So, Absolutely. so it would probably be safe to say that in a, in a world which is connected now by Internet, that uh, the capitalism will find a way to remain globalized or, 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 or keep it alive.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's inter- interdependence.
1: That's true. Is going to be. That's true. That's true. So, Lelu, that this has been a very uh, uh, intriguing discussion, uh, intriguing discussion, let me put it this way. And uh, I just wanted to share uh, with our audience the uh, Few facts about the globalization that uh, from 1850 to 1914, an international economy existed. So, if you call it globalization today, it, it's nothing new, it could be in a different form. And it peaked around 1914, yes. above whatever reason, World War or it went down. And that international economy was managed by Great Britain, and it was resting on free trade. And open capital markets. Definitely, it was reliant on colonies and developing areas as a resource bases, and uh, on consumers in advanced nations. So, same kind of trend was there. And uh, another wave started uh, that probably was triggered by United States in uh, in nineties. Uh, yes. And and what's the impact of globalization as a point number two? And there is a statistics uh, which comes out that uh, when countries increase their level of globalization by, say, 1%, the rate of GDP growth, it increases between 0.1% to 0.15%. In, a, in uh, looking at countries, Singapore uh, is one of the countries where it has the world's highest density. It's a pretty small country, first of all world's highest density of regional head offices relative yes. to its GDP. <laughs> you know more that's than right. half of all large foreign subsidiaries in emerging Asia outside of China are located in Singapore. And that's amazing in a, in a very small country. So Lalith, uh, a very interesting discussion. Uh, Looks like um, with your uh, deep insights into the subject that in the digital age, in this century, the globalization may not be impacted by our country or few countries' behavior because uh, a lot has moved into the hand of individuals, corporations, and non-state actors. In in this case, the good non-state actors uh, for business, uh, facilitated by digital economy, IT connectivity, emerging markets, and uh, uh, the, the extent of connectivity between all of them. So, Lalit, uh, thank you so much. And I really appreciate uh, your time again on the show.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Mahesh. Thank you.